Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in John chapter 21. This is a part two of a two-part series, and the title is called No Discipleship Dissociative Disorder. (laughs) Like I was talking about, our culture, we're we're coming apart as a culture, and there's so many things that they're coming up with every month, so I I coined my own phrase, it's a spiritual, in a spiritual sense, and basically... uh, you know, something has happened. <laughs> when we talk about the church, right, people say, I'm going to church. And church is understood as the building. But when you look at the original Greek word, you know, the Bible was written, and the church, Jesus spoke about the church, the ecclesia, he spoke about people. So you're the church. We are the church together, autonomous of this building. It's pretty neat. Sometimes I say things and people like, I don't really understand what you say, because we have to define the terms. And it's this thing that happened. Again, it's the people. We, we, Sunday morning, and I'm not going to correct anybody, you know. I'm, I'm coming to church. It's fine. We use it in our vernacular. It's kind of like a settled language. But the truth is, you're the church coming to a building to meet others that are part of the church. And that's important because the term, no, this discipleship dissociative disorder really means that something's happened in the last maybe 50 to 70 years in Christendom where there's this disconnect. Like for 2,000 years, Christianity existed, and it was always understood that we're all in this together. There's no A-team. Nobody's better than anybody else. We all have gifts, and we work together to do the work of God. But the entertainment industry, there was a book written by T.A. McMahon called uh, Showtime for the Sheep, and he chronicles how... Uh, church has changed over the last several decades to become very event-driven and very Hollywood knockoff style. And people think, well, I'm just coming to check it. I'm, I'm going to be a spectator. And in their minds, they almost have this idea that they're not going to get involved. But it was never meant to be, right? There's these subtle things from the world that creep into, just like uh, Pastor Evans was talking about marriage, to creep in slowly to make them ineffective. We all work together to do the work of God. We see this in the four Gospels. We see this in 1 Corinthians. We see this in the book of Acts, that after Jesus rose from the dead, a lot of his followers, at one point, 500 at once, they followed Jesus. They were part of the church, right? And they weren't the A-team. You know, so you had the, the 12, and then Judas took his life, so there was 11. But when the church burgeoned, Right? It exploded in people and to, from uh, 12 to, to thousands, uh, tens of thousands. Uh, as many as the Roman Empire tried to take them out and kill them, uh, more Christians just kept popping up. And eventually they had the edict of toleration that said, we can't stop this movement because it was a movement of God. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. So we are in this together. We work together and we use our gifts right, to do the work of God. And I'm going to keep preaching that until my last breath, because that is an accurate representation of who we are as believers. So we're going to look at this in four parts. Jumping in, John 21, starting with verse 15. We covered the last part the last time. 
It says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus and his followers, two of his followers were even unnamed. It wasn't important. Uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, right, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So one out of four is, well, the last time it was neat, you know, Jesus did another miracle. They caught a bunch of fish. Jesus cooked the fish. They ate. They broke bread together. Who knows, they might have sung a psalm by the campfire. A really good time. Now Jesus is getting into some serious training with his followers. So one out of four is Peter is restored. We'll talk about that. And he's being trained and sent out to do ministry. Now, I'm going to have to go into the Greek because when you actually go into the Greek and look at some of these words, they have much more punch than the English language. So sometimes I do go into the, uh, these dead languages, so to speak. The word love, uh, in America, I can say I love chocolate, which I do. And I can say I love my wife, which I do. But if something's got to go, it's got to be chocolate. And she's watching on live streaming. So <laughs> listen, you, she's probably laughing right now. You better rest assured I give the right answer. <laughs> but we have uh, destroyed the word love in our American culture. But the Greeks had four different words for love. That's impressive. So I I submit to you, they understood the different levels of love where we say, I love everything. I love, you know, whatever the case may be. So we're going to look at that. Now let's look at the context before we go into the Greek. In Matthew 26, let's go back before Jesus' crucifixion. In Matthew 26, Peter said to Jesus, oh, if these other disciples stumble, I'll go to the death with you. Right? I, you know... Maybe he thought he loved his devotion was greater than, you know, a little, little boasting there. In the same chapter, when Jesus is hauled away to be arrested and crucified, right, Peter denies Jesus three times. He's, he gets scared. You know, when the rubber hits the road, he panics. And the third time, he, Jesus is a distance away. He looks at Jesus, he looks at Peter, and Peter weeps bitterly because he realized what he did. Now, Let's go into the Greek. <laughs> so the word, we, we understand, and most of you heard it, agape love, out of the four Greek words. Agape is this sacrificial, it's, it's not reciprocal, it's, it's, you know, it's an incredible type of love that God shows us, which people rarely exhibit that type of love. So agape is that high order of love. There's also a, a, a word for love, and there's two more after this, but we're not going to get to them, is uh, phileo, or more of a, a friendship, a, a bonding type of love. It's a, it's a good love, but it's not quite as high as agape. So literally in the Greek, Jesus says to Peter, agapes me, and Peter responds, philo se. Jesus is like, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter's realistic now, right? He's like, I, I phileo you. I, don't, I can't say that. He's, it's a different Peter after the resurrection. Pretty impressive. So, we also see that Jesus asked Peter this question three times. 
to kind of be in parallel with the three denials that Peter vehemently, he even said he called down curses upon himself. The third time he was asked, oh, weren't you one of those, you sound like a Galilean, weren't you with Jesus? I do not know the man. So three denials, now three affirmations. And we're going to talk about what that means. But Peter goes on a journey, and I love this about Peter. He starts out, right? He starts out. Jesus does this miracle. He's calling his disciples. And Peter sees that Jesus is God. First thing he says to Jesus after that miracle is, Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Peter starts out humble. Something happens when Peter starts walking with the Lord and he starts seeing the miracles. And, you know, the disciples are really excited about this. Peter becomes prideful. He starts boasting, you know, I'll go to the death for you. But you know what, folks? We're making a mistake if we don't see the parallels in our own lives. Peter is a picture of all believers. Because I got to be honest with you, when I came up the first time to receive Jesus, I was shaking. I was nervous. I was, I was humble. I was, listen, I was, I was a cop. You know, I had trained with rifles and I was in terrible situations. I had seen uh, murder situations. And here I am before the living God. My knees are shaking. When I came up, I actually, I'm just going to be honest with you, I had my hands, I was holding the stage. I thought I was going to fall over. So humble. But I got, I'll just be honest with you, somewhere in my walk, I, I thought that I was something. And the Lord had to humble me. But we can see ourselves, can't we, in Peter's walk. Now what happens? Peter goes from humble, then he becomes pride, and then he ends up in the right place again, humble. Lord, I don't love you the way that I should. So he says to the Lord the third time, when Jesus asked him, do you love me? The Lord says, uh, Jesus, Peter says to the Lord, Lord, you know all things. And this is the realization that we need to come to as believers that the Lord knows all things. Now again, there's some ministries that will teach you you need to pray to God and keep repeating yourself and almost demand these blessings from God. But when you really read the Scripture, and I pray, there's things that I want, but at the end of the day, or somebody's giving me a hard time and I'm praying to the Lord, I'm like, you know what, Lord, you know all things and you know my heart. Maybe I'm wrong, but you know. You'll fix it. You're always with me. Verse 15, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, there's two interpretations here, and they both could be right, because Jesus would speak on many levels. He just was, he's God. He's so deep in even his human conversations. He says, do you love me more than these? The first interpretation, again, he boasted that he loved Jesus and would, you know, die for Jesus. Do you love me more than these, meaning these other disciples? These other disciples, right? Well, if that was the case, then Peter failed miserably. He didn't follow through. And again, we look at believers today, and listen, I've seen it. Believers that boast, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be there, and you know, they, they're like a shot out of a cannon. And then they, reality sets in, and their schedule set in, and they don't show up, or they don't you know, follow through. And you know what happens? Things fall on the faithful, on the few who are actually uh, trying to be faithful to the Lord in their lifestyle. Uh, some people come to church, they're fickle, they're emotional, they're excited, but there's not really a follow-through. And we can see this in Peter. Thankfully, and we're going to talk about how he, he died, you know, towards the end of his life, or, you know, after this point, he really was solid for the Lord. 
and it permeated his being. He was monolithically solid and he didn't waver anymore. But Peter was asked three times. Now, brothers and sisters, we cannot look at the culture and then take what we learn in the church and try to apply it as if the culture is the standard. The Word is the standard. We live in a culture where young people are being brainwashed to get offended over everything. There's trigger alerts. Every time somebody says something they don't agree with you, a person is what's called trigger. I'm learning all these terms that I never knew when I went to college. But, and what happens is I can't hear something that's different than what I believe or what I like. They get offended easy. That type of believer never matures. Don't be like what's going on in academia and the things you're seeing on the news and such. The Lord wounded Peter. He afflicted him and asked him three times and Peter was grieved. I submit to you, this is a good thing. And folks, when we become Christians, our desire should be to grow and to mature and not to stay stagnant. Listen, there's many ministries that you can listen to and they'll never say anything like you'll hear from this pulpit, from the pastors and elders that rotate through this pulpit. They always want to tell you nice things and quite frankly, I think it's a Ponzi scheme. The more they can make people happy, the more they can get more money and run these monstrous... uh, Joel Osteen is one person and, and I painfully watch him sometimes just to make sure that he's still doing these things and that he hasn't actually graduated and become, you might say, well, who are you? Look at your size of your church. Is it really the size that matters because he fills up a stadium? I could fill up a stadium. I can start changing the way I do things. You start listening to these ministries and after a while you become like the culture. You become soft. You become doughy. You become spiritually just inept and you don't grow. Let me tell you something. James is sitting in the front row. Remember some of our mentors? Remember Pastor Luis? Yeah, that's your grandfather, my father in the Lord. That dude was tough. That guy didn't even let me come up for air sometimes. He'd tell me, you're you're a terrible husband. You need to do this. But you know what? Maybe 15% of what he said was wrong. Most of it was right. I look back and I'm not offended. Pastor Luis, if you're listening (laughs) somewhere. Um, But he he afflicted me. He wounded me. And and it was necessary because I needed to change. I needed to grow. And as a pastor, I'm not above being wounded and afflicted. Understand that. Uh, interpretation two, Jesus saying to Peter, do you love me more than these? Remember, Peter, after the resurrection, goes back to fishing, <laughs> right? He was good at fishing. He was an experienced fisherman. He was probably physically strong. He knew his nets. He knew where to cast them down. And you can see that when we go through the scripture. But Peter, do you love me more than your tackle? You know, your nets and your equipment and your boats and your crew and your, your guy, you know, bonding thing and all that kind of stuff. He might have been asking him, both interpretations might be true. If God called us away from something in the world that we liked or we loved, would we follow him? And I've seen this. Um, the person should be growing in the Lord and, and the Lord's trying to mature them, trying to, to grow them, and there's just certain things they won't leave. They won't leave their girl pack or their guy pack or their, you know, their materialism or all the things in the world that they love. You know, Christians who are, are just, they're just stagnant and their love of the things of the world always trumps loving Christ. 
that in their spiritual house there's a room or a closet or a garage, something small where Jesus is kept, but you, they let him out every so often when company comes over to make things look good. They dust off the Bible. They start talking Christianese. It's a language, you know. Uh, so, but, but that's, that's, listen, that's a problem. That's really a problem. And Jesus uh, pressed Peter on this. And folks, don't think he's not going to press us. You know, I mean, I was a gearhead and some of my cars and stuff. And uh, my wife called one of my cars the other woman. So, you know, and God, he separated me from I was spending way too much time on that stuff. He had other plans for me. And folks, these could be good things. They could be our vacations. They could be our second homes, our summer homes, our millions of promotions, this, that, and the other thing. And what happens is slowly, again, Satan is subtle. He slowly takes us away from our hunger for the Lord. We used to hunger for him. We get stagnant. Now we're hungering for the things of the world again. He's very good, Satan, at what he does. He's a fisher of men too, but he does it in, in, the, in an evil way. He has the lures and the shiny objects that he throws our way, and sometimes he hooks us. Well, we may not lose our salvation. I don't believe that, but we can become ineffective and stagnant for the Lord. What are we hungering for? Let's go back to the Greek. Jesus said, feed, he said to tend to sheep, he said, feed his lambs. Lambs in the Greek was a diminutive of sheep. Okay, so in the Greek word, it was understood that they were baby sheep. They were little lambs. And Jesus, again, you, you can read the English and it's cool and the Holy Spirit can certainly give you, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to read the Bible, but sometimes when you delve into it, uh, you can really pull things out that you might not have seen at first glance. So what happens here is that he says, feed my lambs, my baby lambs. And as Christians, we should be looking out for the most vulnerable in society, especially children. You know, church should be a place where kids can feel safe, where kids can see good role models, where kids can be grown so that when they go out into the world, they have that spiritual armor. And listen, it isn't just the church's job, it's the parents' job too. We're all in this together. And, and we're all Christians. So whether it's me or the youth ministry or you or their parents, we all do this together. I didn't have that as a kid. And I, I was very wayward, a very different person than I am now. And, and I, I hear about Elder Bill um, just growing up in the children's ministry, remembering his teachers. And, and I'm thinking, wow, that's so cool. I, I didn't have that experience. But he says to, to care for the most vulnerable in society. And with the adults, he says, tend my sheep. Now that word in the Greek is also used for shepherd. It's poimena. Poimena. I want you to tend my sheep. And what does that mean? It means to pastor them. It means to oversee them. There's different um, words in the, in the semantic range. Uh, it means to teach. It means to grow. What does it mean, folks? It means to invest in people. Invest in people. And we live in a nation that is blessed with material things like no other nation on the planet. But God wants us to invest in people. And, and, and if we are blessed to have finances and, and authority and positions, we should use that to invest in people. And that's what he's basically saying here. Invest in people. And there's two things that we need. We need to fill bellies 
and we need to fill souls. You know, it's... Uh, there's a lot of things sometimes Christians do that they just don't understand. They don't get it. Um, maybe they go out to, listen, uh, to me, if I'm going to go out to eat, I'm not only going to witness to my wait staff, but I'm going to give them a good tip. I'm just saying. Or, you know, there was actually a Casting Crowns had done a song, and it was kind of cool. A bunch of Christians went out, and they didn't give her a tip, and they just gave her a card, a tract, like a young, struggling waitress. I don't know what example that sets, you know. So to me, as a Christian that we're supposed to do both. It's kind of hard to see a poor person on the street or somebody homeless and just kind of throw a track at them if you're not going to at least take five minutes to go to the deli and buy them lunch. I'm not a fan of giving out money because I know some people abuse it, but my wife and I have done that a lot. And listen, I'm not patting myself on the back. It's something we should be doing. You go out, you feed their bellies, and while they're eating that food and drinking, and you're a stranger and you just gave that to them, and you start telling them about Jesus, they start to listen. Big difference, you know. They, they both have to go together. And in Christianity, and there's so much fracturing in Christianity, again, if you read the Word, it becomes very clear. It makes so much sense. In some precincts of Christianity, it's a cold, throw a track at them, you better find Christ or you're going to hell. I don't see that reflected in the Scripture. Uh, in, in other places, they're really good at feeding. Feeding the poor, feeding the poor, but they're really weak on the Word. You have to have both. One uh, powerful mini, uh, uh, missionary to India, He's, he was ethnically Indian, and he said, don't feed my people and build schools and not tell them about the gospel of salvation. He goes, you're just going to send them to hell a little bit wealthier. He goes, tell my people about Jesus. Very, very powerful, very fiery. We need both. And this is what Jesus is saying here. And folks, don't let the word pastor think that you're going to get a pass on that one. Well, it's the pastor's job. No discipleship dissociative disorder. We cannot extricate ourselves. We cannot, you know, separate ourselves, divorce ourselves from the fact that if we call ourselves Christians, we all do something. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. Listen, there's guys in this church that do security. They're like, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I'll offer my time. And I'll, if something comes, if there's a threat, I will put myself in the line of fire. That's serving the Lord. Let's be creative here. Um, when I go through the scripture, I've, I've given many, many different ways of how we can serve, and you don't have to be a Bible scholar to do it. So there's really no excuses. There's no excuses. You know, Ecclesiastes 5, if you read that, several verses, God says in his word, he goes, it's better, and I'm paraphrasing, it's better to not promise God anything than to promise Him you're going to do something and you don't follow through. Follow through. Sometimes that's a problem in our fast-paced culture. Church people, I want to do this. They get excited. I want to do that outreach. I want to do this. I'll put my name on And they don't, they don't do it. And they don't do it. And that makes it worse than if they just didn't say anything. Think. We have to think about these things. There's a lot in three verses there. Verse 18, continuing on. Now Jesus says to Peter, he's restored. He's got his marching orders. Verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, Most assuredly I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself. You know, you dressed yourself. You picked yourself up. You walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you wherever you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. 
And then he had spoken this. He said to him, follow me, follow me. So two out of four is the perils and sacrifice of doing ministry. Jesus prophesied Peter's death. Peter had no idea what he was talking about. However, we have hindsight. You know, We can look back and see what did happen. Peter did die. And what happened was Peter was... Um, he did a lot of miracles. You know, he was miraculously re- released from prison. Incredible things. Eventually, it was his time to be martyred. So Peter was going to be martyred by the Romans. And he said, this is in Fox's, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's in other uh, Roman historical works. So it's even outside of Christianity. Peter said to his, his guards, his soldiers, he said, listen, I don't deserve to be crucified even in death in the same way that my master, my Lord, was. He says, I beg you, crucify me upside down. So I can't imagine. I hate being upside down. You know, your head fills with blood and everything gets dizzy. Peter just, he just, he just said, so they, the way they crucified him, they honored him. They put the cross piece lower. And when they put it into the ground and lifted him up, his, his head and his shoulders were down and his feet were up. And he died slowly like that. But even in his death, listen, it doesn't mean that we run out now to be crucified. That's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is Peter finally got it. It was that time period. It was a persecuted church. And he, this is what he wanted. You know, American thought, again, it's, it's, church isn't doing its job if it's not talking about the problems of, of American culture that get into the, into the church. You know, again, putting Jesus in a box, putting him in a, a, a separate place of our house instead of letting him run our lives. Um, even some, they retire from serving the Lord. I did that for a few years, and now I'm just going to go on vacation for the rest of my life. When do you retire from telling people about salvation, the good news? When do you retire from praying for people, right? Second Timothy 3.12 Understand, too, the time that this was written. And again, as we speak, there are Christians, unfortunately, sadly, in Iraq and Syria that they're just caught up in these civil wars and ISIS uh, coming through. And and thank God a lot of them have been uh, eliminated. But uh, just the persecution that our brothers and sisters in Iraq and Syria and Indonesia and uh, Africa and some of these other places are experiencing as we speak. It says, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And again, it doesn't mean that in, in American culture that we're going to be crucified. It doesn't mean we're going to be beheaded. It doesn't mean we're going to get the death penalty. But there will be something that we have to sacrifice, that we have to give up for following the Lord. You don't just get to have everything. You know? Um, hey, listen. The United States is only 5% of the world's population. There's a whole world out there that's hostile to Christianity. And again, it could be something simple as your peer group, your pack. You know, you become a Christian and you, your views change because you believe what the Scripture says. And maybe you're ostracized from your own social peer group. And there, there are Christians that that really bothers them so much that, you know, they're afraid to speak out. They're afraid to say anything. When believers are being martyred overseas. I mean, let's put everything in perspective here. Right? I mean, to, to, to do what you do in ministry, and uh, if you have a higher calling, you're, you're going to deal with problems. You're going to have issues. You're going to have people that come against you. You're going to have people in your own family, Jesus said, that'll cut you off. 
right? Verse 20, we continue. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Now again, John speaks about this about himself. So if you're new to the Bible, what? Does he play favorites? No, John just referred to himself. He didn't say, I'm John. He said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He just felt the Lord's love all the time. Uh, following, who also leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, so make no mistake, he's speaking about John, said to Jesus, Lord, but what about this man? It's kind of funny if you think about it. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then the saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will, that he remain till I come, what is that to you? So let me kind of break this down. Three out of four is, it's the distraction of looking at other Christians. Right? <laughs> You're laughing because, I mean, a lot of the stuff that happens, even today, is covered in the Scripture. Everything's covered. Human frailty, jealousy. You ever see jealousy in the church? Sure. You know, this person got this and I didn't get it and comparing ourselves that's dangerous it really is it's dangerous you don't know another person's life a walk how what it, what it took for them to get to that point we have to stop with the jealousy because that's really ugly it reminds me of little kids and and the you know parents take the little kids to get ice cream and and jimmy says about johnny mommy mommy he got an extra half a scoop of vanilla you know what i'm saying and and peter was acting really childish and Jesus said, what is it to you if I re- have him remain till I come? Basically saying to Peter, mind your own business. <laughs> That's my translation. You mind your own business and follow me. Okay, and that's the Peter sometimes had trouble with distractions. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm sinking, Lord. Well, you're not looking at me. You're supposed to be walking on water. Uh, but the bottom line is that, that we, why do we serve God? Because we're going to get something. Bad doctrine. Bad, bad doctrine. We serve God because he's God. It's very simple. <laughs> and I'll just be transparent from the pulpit. Just be, I like being honest. Sometimes I'm too honest. But, you know, I have a family too. I have a wife. I have a home. I have a son. And you know what? God doesn't answer all my prayers. And you know what's even weirder as the senior pastor? When the church is doing super and my family, the DeProsimo home, is going through a trial. It's like... This is really a mind twister. And these are the deep things that you'll learn from a Bible-believing church. You're not going to hear it in those ministries that are all, everything's wonderful, you're just going to be blessed all the time, you're never going to get sick. That's nonsense. And in my own house, we've had pain, we've suffered loss. And I come up here every Sunday, and the church is doing very well. But why do I serve the Lord? Because He's the Lord. And if I can keep that in my head... I'll do fine. The Lord loves me. Even if I, we suffer things and go through things, it doesn't matter. He loves me. He's always with me. This I know. Peter also, there's a little bit of selfishness in him. You know? He perceived for a moment, perceived, he just wonderful dialogue with Jesus about loving and coming to the realization. Again, we can see Peter in ourselves he perceived that John was getting something that he wasn't getting. A little selfishness on Peter's part. Can we be selfish? Sure we can. Sure we can. Is there selfishness in the church? Sure. 
In every church, there's somebody or a group of somebodies that they want the prayer for them. They want, when they're going through this, and, and they'll make sure everybody knows it. But never once ask someone else, how are you doing? Or never take the prayer list home to pray about it. Listen, I've had folks that, I'll just be honest with you, over a decade, minister to them, minister to their family, never ask how me and my wife are doing, ever. I'm just being real. I believe in keeping it real from up here. You know what I'm saying? Selfishness in the church. If the church was constantly in this other-centered mode, the world would look very different, I believe. And there's a lot of Christians who watch TV, they get mad, they yell at the TV, but they're not doing anything. They're not doing anything. You know, it's, it, it, <laughs> this is not a, a wimp's faith. This is something that will deepen us if we allow it to. And I'm going to tell you, there's some guys in this church, some of you were here this, this morning, and I want to be a pastor. They see this. They see this. Right? But they don't realize the satanic attacks that come when you're here doing this. I'm just being honest. I just read about a pastor, um, and it's not the first one that I read about, who took his life. He killed himself. It's not the first one I've read about. I'm not signaling anything here. I'm just making a point, okay? <laughs> just making a point. And, and I look at that, and, and I'm, I'm like, this has got to be fake news. You know, this can't be. And I, I read through it, and I see the situation. I'm like, oh, my God. Praying for the family, right? Some, some pastors feel, I can't go to anybody with my problems. I can't talk to anybody, especially at my level, right? So let me tell you something. For you young guys, if you are not tied in with the Lord, and even when you are, you're still going to suffer tribulation. This can be rough because Satan, if he can take out the head, he can try to take out the body. Now listen, if he takes me out, there's plenty of qualified people that'll step into the pulpit. I'm not saying that. But this is what Satan does. And this is we're just keeping it real in this place on a Sunday morning. Verse 23, <laughs> John records this saying went out among the, bro- the brethren. What? A rumor. <laughs> the church was spreading this rumor, John's going to live forever. <laughs> He's, that's not what Jesus said. And furthermore, it was a rumor. Are there ever rumors in the church? Sure there are. Is there ever gossip in the church? Of course there is. But again, we look at Peter and we can see hopefully a mirror. Because I look at Peter and I look at myself and say, I'm no better than Peter. Heck no. He might have fired me a long time ago. He might have kicked me off the boat. Uh, but, you know, we got to be honest about ourselves. What really happened was, um, and again, the Lord, all the disciples after the resurrection, the apostles were, were martyred. Uh, John was tortured. It didn't kill him. And he sent him to Patmos, which was an island. It was a penal colony. Was this great, Peter? Well, I don't think so, because Peter knows now the truth. So when, I'll tell you why. So John's on this island, this penal colony, and Jesus comes to him. And he gives him the information for the book of Revelation. Powerful. So did Jesus come while John was still alive? Sort of. But there still shouldn't have been a rumor. You see what I'm saying? John, the disciple, probably lived his last few years. Think about this. He was tortured. They boiled him in oil. He probably had burns all over his body. He was probably disabled. He was probably maimed. He was probably alone. Okay? 
So Peter, was, he, Peter wasn't thinking. He was thinking as a worldly person. And folks, do you have a desire to be in ministry? First of all, if you come up to receive Jesus and you think, some of you who've just come up, everything's going to be great, not in the world. We still live in a hostile world towards our faith. However, you're going to heaven. You have promises. The Lord will always be walking with you. He'll be in you. He'll be upon you. It's an incredible thing. It's a great journey, but it can be painful. Jesus says to Peter, follow me. The grammar is the present imperative. It's emphatic and it's continuous and it means Peter continually follow me. Peter, focus. Focus. Sometimes we have to focus. Sometimes we're focusing on we're looking at our checkbook and that's all we can see. We're looking at our afflictions and that's all we can see. We're looking at the people who are giving us a hard time and that's all we can see. Jesus said to Peter, he kept saying it, follow me. Peter, focus on me. Some believers never grow because they're focused. They're all over the place and they're not focused on Jesus. I just got dizzy doing that. (laughs) But, But he's saying to Peter, focus. This morning, brothers and sisters, we have to focus on the Lord. We really do. Last few verses, 24. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So four out of four is the conclusion of John's Gospel, and what does it mean to us? It means that Jesus did so much in three years that the disciples recorded stuff. They were feverishly probably writing, memorizing, uh, interviewing people after the healings and such. And, uh, and there's probably more resurrections that took place, more lame people that were raised to more blind people that could see. You know, the Gospel writers gave a digestible portion of a biography of Jesus Christ. You know, if, if the Bible, I read the whole Bible a few times, it's just enough for me. I suppose if it was this long <laughs> and it filled up this room, I would be like, I don't know where to start. So the Bible has just enough for life and godliness, we're told. It's pretty neat, huh? There's just enough in there. It's not too little, it's not too much. But John wants us to know that a lot more was done that I didn't even I just I felt the more salient things and the more important things I wrote about, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, you wonder why when Jesus, it's, it's kind of funny and humorous, you know, fully God takes the form of a human body and, and you see him oftentimes in the boat and there's a storm and all the disciples are panicking and Jesus is sawing wood you know, down in the lower deck. He probably did all day long, he ministered to people. That's all he did. He taught them about God. He talked about how to get to heaven. He healed them. He fed them. When he slept, he was probably out, you know, until he woke up again. But I wonder, 
I wonder if Jesus' followers ever took him for granted at times. Hey, John, check it out. There's this, this guy. His legs are all shriveled up. And, oh, I've seen that a hundred times. You know what I'm saying? I don't know that that ever happened. I don't know the conversation ever took place. But I'm going to say, but don't we at times take God for granted? I know for me, every Sunday I talk about Jesus died for your sins. I never get tired of it. Because somebody's going to come in here this Sunday or next Sunday or in a month or a year and they're going to need to hear that and they're going to come up and receive Jesus. So it's like, let's, let's not lose our fire and our passion for the living God because He is the living God. You know, we can take God for granted and blend into the Christian culture. And the Christian culture has some good and some chaff. It has some good fruit and it has some leaven. And that's a rip-off. I call that Christian mediocrity. A personal relationship beats group this and group that and let's see this and let's see that and going after every bell and whistle. God wants us to, to have that personal one-on-one relationship with Him. So I go back to the title, No Discipleship Dissociative Disorder. And that happens where we stop listening to God. We stop following his commands and his suggestions and we park our faith in the spiritual garage to collect dust when you take these messages together both of them there's power there's life and there's plenty of things for us to do every single person if you know the lord jesus not only has he given you physical abilities but he's given you spiritual gifts use them use them ask Pastor Joe, I don't know what it is. I've been a Christian for for years. Let's pray for you. Don't leave before we pray about that. Is there still hate in the world? Is there still war? Is there still abuse of, of the most vulnerable in society? Then there's still time for us to do the Lord's work before He returns. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.